Some conversations may be difficult to start, but necessary to have. In our society, mental health is one of those conversations. How we talk about mental health with each other and in public is just as important. Mental health stigmas may be strong, but we can be stronger by starting a dialogue and sharing our stories with compassion and courage. This is the WorkWell podcast series. Hi, I'm Jen Fisher, well-being leader for Deloitte, and I'm so pleased to be here with you today to talk about all things well-being. Well, stigma is um, its very much a learned behavior. Um, so generationally, we have been learning from our parents who learned from their parents and so on um, that perhaps mental illness was something to be ashamed of, something to be hidden, something certainly not to be talked about. And from that, you know, again, generations and generations of folks that have, you know, have looked at this invisible illness and called it a weakness. I'm here with Pamela Harrington. She's the executive director of Bring Change to Mind, a nonprofit focused on combating the stigmas around mental illness. So I grew up in a, in a small community outside of Boston, fairly conservative, I would say, looking back. Um, we lost four members of my high school uh, uh-huh. to suicide. And this was in the mid-80s. And, in a, and again, this conservative town, we would go to services, we would pay our respects to the family, and no one ever talked about it. Um, mm-hmm. The families were left to grieve on their own. We as families of, you know, surviving families didn't know how to approach the subject. Schools didn't talk about it. Maybe you went to your church or faith-based community um, to have a discussion. So it was always just very intriguing. I actually happened to be a sick kid myself with um, blood disorder. So I was in and out of the hospital all the time. And I saw the support that families in my community um, gave to me and my parents and my sister. But if a family had lost a member to, of their family to suicide, if there was mental illness, they were... It wasn't the they same were as so, physical. They were yeah. so isolated. They did not have the kind of community support um, wow. that you would have if you had you know, any other disease that was okay to talk about. Right. Um, so I think that really was always in the back of my mind. Um, I went on to lose a a couple of other friends in in college. Um, And then when I eventually, after college, had moved to New York, um, I was walking to work one morning, and um, I was the witness to and almost the victim of a suicide. Wow. um, Which led to some post-traumatic stress, which I didn't deal with. But to know that this gentleman who was taking his life almost ended mine as well. Um, And it was just any other day walking to the office. Um, So I was working in the breast cancer world at the time. um, And I was helping to create the pink ribbon um, Mm. when people just started cause marketing and just started taking cancer from a whisper to a roar. And I got a call from a family who said um, they had just lost their son to suicide. They wanted to start a nonprofit um, as a safety net for college students um, so we could reduce um, suicide rates on college campuses. 
and I had a very nice job and I didn't want to leave it. <laughs> and they convinced me and um, I helped this family start the Jed Foundation back in 2001. And I've been in mental health since and wow. I've seen a remarkable amount of change. So I'm happy about that. Wow. That's a really powerful story. I mean, unfortunate, but it seems like from very early it was leading you. Yeah. Leading you down this path that you've been on for quite a while now. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. So let's kind of dive in because you talked about it in, in your in your introduction around stigma and you know people kind of not wanting to talk about it or acting like it didn't exist or perhaps not knowing what to say or providing this this same type of support that we see with physical illnesses. Um, what what is the stigma that exists and why does it exist and what what's the impact that it's having on those that are mentally ill and need the support and need the help? Well, stigma is um, it's very much a learned behavior. So generationally, we have been learning from our parents who learned mm -hmm. from their parents and so on that perhaps mental illness was something to be ashamed of, something to be hidden, something certainly not to be talked about. And from that, you know, again, generations and generations of folks that have, you know, have looked at this invisible illness and mm -hmm. called it a weakness. Um, and, you know, in, in light that we don't have a lot of cures on the horizon or, you know, drugs in the, in the pharma pipelines, it's also kind of scary. Right. But there's so many different kinds of very entrenched stigmas. There's societal stigma, familial stigma, institutional stigma, self-stigma. Right. Um, that one's really powerful. That's very, very powerful. And then there are cultural stigmas. Um, I will say um, on the hopeful note that the many generations that do have this very entrenched stigma through cohort replacement um, are starting to go away. Yeah. And the younger generations are where our greatest hope are in Always. terms of, <laughs> you know, if, if, if they don't learn these inherent bad behaviors, you know, we're setting ourselves for better school climates, better workplace climates, um, better family structures, um, so that we're, you know, our, our societal conversation will completely change. And I do believe it is happening. And do you believe as a society, we have the support mechanisms in place or, or the mental health care system in place that can address what we need to address in terms of what we're seeing in society or, or not yet. Because <laughs> um, I know there's always, there's a struggle, right? Yeah. Finding the right care. I mean, it's it's difficult, you know, especially kind of in the therapy world and connecting with, I mean, it, you're human beings. So connecting with your therapist, finding the right therapist, insurance issues. Um, you know, the number one thing I hear is kind of, even if you have the means, the access to care is still very difficult. Yeah, that's a, that's a, big conversation. Um, <laughs> no, we're not there. No, yeah. we don't have the, the resources available. Um, you know, we, we work in some states and you know, Idaho is two pediatric psychiatrists. Wow. The um, whole state. Yeah. So, I mean, we look at the, the dearth of professionals. We might have, you know, great resources on, on our coasts or in the larger cities, but you look at um, other parts of, of the country and there truly are no, well, there might be a behavioral health center, but they don't have the number of professionals needed for the need that is out there. 
Um, you know, there's a lot of hope with uh, telemedicine, mm-hmm. with, a, you know, there's so many behavioral health apps that are now right. being tested. Um, we don't quite know yet how, you know, these all might test but out. It, and But it's still positive in that we're yeah, trying, right? Yeah. We're moving in a direction yeah. that provides kind of more pervasive care for Absolutely. people. Absolutely. And certainly, you know, one thing that we believe at Bring Change to Mind is that we can all be that first line of defense. We can be... Um, almost that first responder, without put you in, an, in, a, in a terribly burdensome situation where you have to know, you know the right clinical responses, um, to be an active listener, to reach out to someone, ask if they are okay. Something as simple as that. If you see someone you know, isolating or changing behaviors, or if you see outward signs of, of depression and changes of mood and behavior, you know, reach out. Right. Um, so that... The way the world has changed in the past few years where we are being able to normalize these conversations around mental health, that's incredibly helpful. Um, Being able to reach out to the people around us in our workplace, in our schools, in our families, that's incredibly helpful. But it then does feed us all into this, then what? How do I find that that care provider? We are looking at, um, I think by... In the next couple of years, we're going to have a shortage of 250,000 specialists in the country in all behavioral health sectors. So psychologists, social workers, psychiatrists, um, psychiatric nurses. We're we're starting a campaign right now trying to encourage um, college students to go into these fields. So for anybody that's listening, that's passionate about this topic, there's there's a need for that. We're going to be producing and releasing a campaign in April called Between the Lines. Um, and we want this to be spread far and wide. And it'll be, you know, sending students back to all of the different kind of association hubs. What does it mean to be a psychiatric nurse? What does it mean to be a clinical psychologist? Show them some really cool examples of how people took this path on and how um, how fulfilling their career path has been. Um, you know, I think everyone would agree right now that the world is in a rather precarious place and we need listeners and we need compassionate people and folks that can empathize. And it's an amazing career path. You will never go without, (laughs) without (laughs) clients. Um, so it's, it's something that, you know, we're, we're very aware of that now that we've created this national conversation, us and a number of other organizations in the mental health space, the next step is if you have identified that you do need to seek professional help, you need to be able to find the practitioners right. out there. Yeah. And there are so many barriers from you know actually having someone in your community that is taking new appointments, will accept your insurance. Um, can you get leave from your job in order to go visit that clinician? Right. You know there are, there are tons and tons of barriers, but you know we're at least trying to feed that pipeline of yeah. new. You have to start somewhere. Yeah. I mean, we're we're yeah. that, that's progress, right? It yeah. might be it might be small progress, but it's forward progress, and I think that's that's amazing. So, how does you know language and the words we use play a part in 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 the stigma? Because you know, I think oftentimes I hear kind of in my own world, and I'm probably guilty of it myself. Um, you know, where we we use words that are kind of along the mental health spectrum, like, oh, some that person's bipolar, or he or she's at it again, or, oh, there she goes being OCD, um, you know, and kind of, I think, reinforcing the stigma. I think certainly in the workplace as a leader, um, when you use that language around others that 
may be suffering from a mental health condition or have someone in their family or someone that's close to uh, close to them. Can you talk a little bit about how important that is? Language plays a huge part in um, exacerbating stigma. You know, everyone in, in my orbit um, since I've chosen this career path has fairly eliminated the word crazy from their vocabulary. If they don't, they get the hairy eyeball from me and they're like, oh, there she goes again. Um, <laughs> I understand that it's a word that can somehow be used to explain something that is wildly good or yeah. wildly yeah. bad or, um, but I mean, that there's so many other adjectives out there. Um, you know, when I hear a weatherman or woman saying, you know, and the schizophrenic forecast for right. tomorrow, right. things like that just make the hair on the back of my neck stand on, on end. Because um, language is very, very important. And again, you know, it's, it's all this learned behavior. You know, I listen to the way that my parents talk about things, you know, coming from this little Irish town. Um, and when they came to the States, they used words that made me blush. And I eventually taught them. And I think that's what we're doing in teaching kids today, students today, how to use appropriate language. And they'll go home and teach their parents, mom, it's not okay to say that's so bipolar. That's the wrong use of that word. So it's really important. Um, a, a number of years ago, uh, AP guidelines came out around um, how journalists should be accurately reporting stories around mental health issues. Mm. Um, oftentimes, and you know, we still see salacious headlines: psychotic man with knife. Well, that's lazy journalism. Right. You know, there's there's a a, a deeper story there. Um, so, you know, we hope that outside of some of the, the more um, rag-type publications <laughs> that, that most journalists are really taking, taking note that, you know, there is a sensitivity around language yeah. and that we really can um, be much more compassionate in the way we use words. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think that that's incredibly important in the workplace as well, um, mm -hmm. because as a leader, if you're using that language regularly, they will, they will never come forward Absolutely. and they will continue to suffer silently, which has all kinds of downstream impacts that, that none of us want, quite Absolutely. frankly. Absolutely. <laughs> we were talking previously that you've really seen a change just in the last two years and you attributed that to kind of the younger generation being a lot more open yeah. and willing to talk about and accept mental illness, mental mental health challenges? Yeah, I, I, I have absolute faith in this Gen Z and younger um, generation that, um, again, I think I mentioned cohort replacement, that, <laughs> that this generation is really going to be um, one that leads us to, to a place in, in this country's history where um, mental illness will be, you know, as, as we once considered race relations, as we once considered, you know, marriage equality, you know, mm -hmm. things that just were mind boggling probably just 20, 30, 40 years ago. And now it's very much accepted. Right. Mental health is something we all have. It's, you know, there's no us and them right. in this equation. Absolutely. And I would say that each of us in any given day is someplace along a spectrum 
um, you know, we might be fine when we wake up. And as the day increases and the workload is piled on, you know, anxiety increases. And, you know, maybe with some self-tools, you're, you're able to, to regulate your, your behavior and your heart rate. And so I think, I think it's something that I've just been trying to really impress upon people that it's not an us and them. We all have mental health. Um, and we all are at risk of damaging our mental health at some point. There are certainly those that have chronic um, diagnosis and on the more um, severe spectrum, you know, schizophrenia or borderline personality disorder. But they too, I mean, um, some of my best friends, you know, have schizophrenia and they are some of the most beautiful, creative and and incredible people that I know. Um, So I, I, I think... These younger generations and, you know, our organization, Bring Change to Mind, works primarily right now with um, high school kids. Mm. Um, we started with a pilot in university, uh, at the University of Indiana, and um, we realized we, we had to get in earlier because once these students left home and they were on their own and introduced to a lot of different experiences, experiences in an unsupervised way and you know we needed to get these tools taught before right. they left home so we're really focusing on high school we have these peer-led initiatives they're clubs um, it's evidence-based we work with uc berkeley and ucsf we have incredible measures of how these clubs affect the entire school climate wow um and we're hoping to go to eighth grade because it's happening younger and younger. But these kids are are going to be the ones that now populate our workplaces and make them the universities, then workplaces, and then you know family units, and they're going to make this this uh, different world. And can you share an example of what what are what are the tools? This is all very much preventative. Okay, um, it's not counseling. Right. So you know there's a there's a big separation there. We teach them what mental health is and what it is not. Mm. We teach them these language points that we discussed earlier. Um, we kind of do a little bait and switch. So we always have like really fun activities that involve pizza and lots of things, <laughs> swag, things that will bring kids in right. and that will bring in I'll actually show up the, for pizza yeah, and exactly. swag. <laughs> but it brings in the whole student environment. So they'll do like an all school assembly or right. activity. And the kids don't really know what they're getting into. Then they're watching a video clip and they're eating their pizza and they're then learning um, what anxiety and depression is as opposed to just teenage angst. Um, How do I identify, you know, if I need to talk to a trusted adult? If you don't have a trusted adult, how do you find a pathway to either a guidance counselor or maybe um, start with a friend? Or, you know, we have a list of resources in the community that these kids can access from a crisis text line suicide prevention text uh, phone lines um, so it's 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 amazing the way these kids have embraced this as their own mm-hmm. um, sadly some of the the clubs have started um, after a loss on campus yeah I, I, this this concept of these clubs is so powerful and my mind is going how do we you know obviously there's there's kind of rules and laws but how do we replicate this in the workplace right because if our if our kids need it yeah many of these activities do translate to adult populations. So we are working um, with two companies in particular right now to figure out ways to kind of have, I don't know if you'd call it a club, but you know, like a, an interest group um, within a workplace where it's a safe environment. Um, It doesn't have to be a heavy conversation. It can be something that is, is really 
um, quite social and educational and certainly preventative and give someone that space to just explore. Right. You know, because I think a lot of people are even scared to explore. They're okay with wellness. Wellness still seems safe. But if you say mental illness or mental health, ooh, yeah, that's different. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, what you said before, and, you know, we're, we're exploring and delivering um, mental health first aid in, internally at Deloitte. And one of the main components of that is just the understanding and definition of what mental illness or mental health is and what it isn't and that spectrum that you talked about that we're all on it and mm -hmm. we're all potentially one event away from sure. crossing whatever that line is that takes us to a place where we're struggling yeah that doesn't mean that we can't come back we absolutely can right but we're we're all there you know and just that awareness of you know what what it is that we're talking about yeah. right and so just having those conversations and creating that awareness in the workplace i think is incredibly powerful yeah so i was just at a, a workshop yesterday and we were trying to kind of hack solutions around where do you put emphasis on prevention before an adverse event um uh, looking at the immediate effects of an adverse event or the recovery as you know mm. after the adverse effect and that could be anything from you know having some tragic thing happen in your life to um, being bullied online you know it could right. be any any number right. of things um, and I think we all there were a number of experts in the room and we all landed on we have to get to prevention we have to equip people with the tools that will take that adverse traumatic or whatever this event is and allow them to understand, come from different perspectives around it and not to rise to crisis, you know, to, to try to use the tools that are embedded in each and every one of us. Allow I mean, them to be human about it. Allow them to be human. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, struggle and pain and trauma are normal and and, and they're we, uniquely human yes, too. <laughs> and we all have to experience these things yeah. in in various parts of our life in order to learn and grow and move on. Absolutely. So, you know, but to to start in this, you know, working to build the tools to help people in their growth pattern, so that when they do fall a little, that they can then step back up. So, um. More public figures, you know, celebrities are coming forward discussing their personal struggles with mental health. Do you think that this is influencing and kind of shaping the conversation um, that's out there on mental health and society and impacting it in a positive way? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I went to a conference a few years ago down at the Carter Center, and uh, Rosalind Carter was one of the first huge, huge proponents mm -hmm. around mental health. Um, I don't remember anyone really talking about it out, outside of the mental health choir. Right. Um, uh, our founder, Glenn Close, was one of the first yeah. um, celebrities to really go out on a limb yeah. and say, um, you know, this is something that affects all of us. And we can't hide behind this anymore. And we have to talk about this. Um, so she has been, you know, out there and she's been doing PSAs and press, which has been enormously helpful. And just watching, so she did her first PSA in 2009 before we even started the organization. 
Um, and slowly but surely, I would say, um, certainly in the past five years, we see a lot of people in the entertainment industry, mm-hmm. um, music, arts, um, suddenly athletes are right. coming forward. We had Kevin Love um, announced that he was supporting Bring Change to Mind last yeah. summer, which was really quite amazing um, and completely shifted all of our analytics when we looked at our, our visiting um, web users. You Absolutely, know, a whole new population. Yeah, here's like this incredible athlete um, talking about the panic attacks that mm-hmm. he was, um, was having um, while playing with the Cavaliers. And then I would say last year, in the, just the past two years, I think the world kind of refocused after the deaths of Kate Spade and Anthony mm, Bourdain. Yeah. And suddenly everyone saw this as maybe the person next to me is hiding behind a facade. Could that be could that be me? Um, could that be the person next to me? Because seemingly it appeared that these these incredible individuals had everything going for them. Um yet they were in so much pain. Yeah. So um after those deaths, I think everyone really started looking at mental health as a conversation that needed to happen. You know, we did a we did a um, town hall with CNN. Um, Anderson Cooper had been very friendly with Anthony Bourdain, mm-hmm. and so we had a number of our ambassadors, number of organizations that were um, took part in this this two three hour town hall. We had the um, American Federation Suicide Prevention Hotline, Suicide Prevention Hotline at the bottom. They had a 67% rise in calls in the time that that town hall took place. So people are eager to ask, to find out more. They're eager to ask for help. Sometimes we don't know where to ask for help, Um, but the conversation has started. I think everyone has gained a bit of courage perhaps in um, in talking about this subject and recognizing when they might be struggling themselves or in recognizing that struggle in someone in their lives. So where where is the best place to ask for help for someone that might be listening that's struggling? I I would start with a trusted loved one around you. Um, I would find someone, and this this also is is a point of self-reflection as well, be sure to listen without judgment. Yeah, um, that is something you know that I think everyone needs. Um, you don't have to have the answers if someone asks you, um, or someone tells you, a, you know, a, a situation that they're in, that they're struggling, that they're having problems, that they've maybe they've even considered taking their lives or harming themselves. Um, engage in that conversation again. You don't have to have all the answers. If you if you talk to someone about their their thoughts around suicide or potentially taking their lives, that is not going to drive them to take their lives. If anything, that's going to engage them in the conversation that will allow them to seek help and allow you to assist them in seeking help if that's the appropriate case. Mm-hmm. Um, there are lots of peer support groups out there. Many cities have warm lines, which mm-hmm. is really, really important, I think. Um, so, you know, the, you know, 911 isn't necessarily the appropriate call or suicide prevention isn't always the appropriate call. Um, there's a crisis text line, mm-hmm. which is 24-7 for all. Um, right. You know, I know that teens and younger folks are more likely to text, but actually there, 
there. Uh, analytics have shown that you know they they certainly have a, a an older generation as well that are using their yeah. services. It removes, it removes a lot of the barriers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, one last question for you: <laughs> What are some of the ways that you take care of your mental health on a on a daily basis? I can't say that I'm the best at that. <laughs> Um, we're, we're all work in process, yeah, right? We're all, all a work in process. I did go to yoga this morning. Um, and, you know, that is something that helps me just kind of get out of my head for a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, because I am so steeped in in this this work, you know, it's, it's hard yeah. working eight, nine hours a day and listening to sometimes absolutely heartbreaking stories. On the other side, you know, I will take the the one or two stories that I hear in a day that are so absolutely beautiful, mm-hmm. and that will fulfill me. Um, honestly, I, I have so much joy and hope in watching our students um, kind of take this um, take this issue, make it their own, um, and that that really kind of restores my sanity on a on a daily basis and in, in seeing purpose that, and meaning, right? Yeah, yeah. it really yeah. it's it's incredibly gratifying. Yeah, incredibly. Thank you so much for being on the show, Pamela. I think this is an incredible conversation, very powerful. Thank you for being authentic and vulnerable and sharing your own story. Thank you. This was wonderful. I'm so grateful Pamela could be with us today. Thank you to our producers and to you, our listeners. You can find the WorkWell podcast series on Deloitte.com or you can visit various podcatchers using the keyword WorkWell, all one word, to hear more. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe so you get all of our future episodes. If you have a topic you would like to hear on the WorkWell podcast series or maybe a story you'd like to share, reach out to me on LinkedIn My profile is under the name Jennifer Fisher or on Twitter at JenFish23. We're always open to recommendations and feedback. And of course, if you like what you hear, please share, post, and like this podcast. Thank you and be well. Be well.